0: Would you turn in your Bibles to um, 2 Corinthians uh, and chapter 5, it's page uh, 1147, 1147, 1147. read from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter, end of the chapter, verse 21. So 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, To be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if I was to ask you what the task of mission is, what would your answer be? I suspect uh, you may well think of Jesus' words to his disciples just before he ascended back to heaven. Those words we know so well at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. Or you may just simply say, well, go and preach the Gospel. That's the task of mission. Okay, but what is the gospel and again there's maybe a number of answers that you might give to that question you may think of different verses I suspect many of you would think of that verse which we all know and love so well from John 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or you may think of a briefer verse. For example, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel. And the apostle Paul uh, wrote many of these letters to different churches, and he uses... Quite a few expressions and that tells us about his view of the mission that God had entrusted to him. In Romans, he talks about the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And in the verse before that, this is Romans 15, he says to bring the Gentiles to obedience Paul had been given a specific responsibility to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles. So his great aim and his longing was to bring the Gentiles to obedience. In Colossians, he uses this expression. He says, Him, talking of Jesus, we proclaim, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That too is the gospel. And there may well be other suggestions that uh, you would like to make. But we read those verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And certainly these are worth including uh, in the list of what the gospel is. And I want us to focus this morning particularly on those last few verses uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just read from verse 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, It's all about reconciliation in those verses, isn't it? Now, those verses don't tell us everything about the gospel. But if we ask the right questions, it's enough to understand what the essentials of Paul's mission was and what ours is too. That's been handed on to us. So, I want to ask some basic questions about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Why is it necessary? What makes it happen? How is it achieved? And what is the result? So, what is reconciliation? When we tend to think about reconciliation, we, we tend to think perhaps of a personal relationship that's broken down and either needs to be or is being or hopefully will be restored that the two parties will be reconciled. But it's used also in, in wider context than that. There may be civil conflicts or even international wars and there's a need for reconciliation i came across an article uh, quite recently uh, about the peace agreement that was reached in 2016 between the colombian government and farc farc a marxist revolutionary guerrilla organisation that had taken up armed resistance against the government way back in the 60s. And finally, a peace agreement was reached. And uh, it it was quite a long paper, but in the uh, article, the writer comments more generally about reconciliation. And he refers to some well-known Conflicts, He says this. In the last few decades, accords ending insurgencies like Northern Ireland's, civil wars such as El Salvador's, or injustices like South Africa's apartheid, apartheid, sought peace and reconciliation, but often at a high price. Impunity. Justice and accountability were largely ignored in the interests of peace. Even when there wasn't a blanket amnesty, prosecutions have been rare to avoid cracking a fragile peace. If you've been listening to the news this week, uh, you'll have heard uh, about what happened in Northern Ireland this week, where a mistake was made uh, and the names and the locations of all the police officers in Northern Ireland were released. And that's caused a great deal of upset and concern and anguish. Because despite the Friday Agreement of, what is it, 20, 25 years ago, actually there hasn't been true, lasting, real Reconciliation. There is now the fear uh, that violence and because of the knowledge uh, that those who wish to harm those in the police force have, that that will be unleashed against many of those serving officers. And you see, what this demonstrates, and we see it in so many areas, whether it be on personal relationships or in wider conflicts, is that peace agreements in our world are only, only ever bring partial reconciliation or temporary peace at best and often leave resentment and bitterness that are bubbling away under the surface and sadly often break out in hostilities again. But here in the Bible, when we read about reconciliation, when we read about God reconciling the world to himself, it is not partial or temporary, but it is complete and lasting. That's one of the things that we need to see and learn and rejoice over, that the reconciliation that the Bible speaks to us about is a reconciliation that truly lasts and is not fragile in that sense. But sadly, there's lots of people that, they're not really interested in reconciliation between God and them because they don't think it's necessary and that's my second point really my second question is reconciliation really necessary and sadly that's one of the most neglected truths found in the Bible because despite all the evidence that tells us That actually there's a massive problem in our relationship with God. People are either not aware of it, or if they are, they brush it off. They say, well, I don't have a relationship with God, so I haven't got a relationship to reconcile. It's not an issue for me. I don't have a relationship with God, so it doesn't need to be reconciled. Or, inwardly they feel that yes, there is a problem, but they pretend it really isn't a big problem. They persuade themselves that it's just a minor problem, one that can be fixed easily enough. In our own society, in our own families, there is conflict continually isn't there when I say continually I don't mean all the time but it rears its head on a regular continual basis and we only have to listen to the news to be reminded that things are far from what they ought to be it's nearly always about conflict one way or the other and we experience that in an individual sense as well, don't we? And often, actually, if we're honest, we experience it inwardly. There's conflict going on within us. There's a battle. And we're not at peace within ourselves. Because our conscience won't leave us alone. We try and quieten it. We listen to those voices that tell us not to worry about that. Do what you feel comfortable doing. But our conscience won't let us go. We have that same sense. When a loved one dies. Death is very normal. It happens all the time. And yet, when it comes to us, I mean close to us, We cannot get away from the fact that it feels so unnatural. It shouldn't happen. And that's because we weren't made to die. Death has only come in because of sin. Death is not natural. It's normal now, but that's because we're all sinners. Sinners. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. And you see, our big problem is actually sin. Our sin. That's what causes the problem between us and God. God is holy. We are sinners. In this verse here, Paul uses the word trespasses in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We know what trespasses are, don't we? I mean, normally we see the sign, no trespassing. You can't cross the boundary. We're not allowed to go in there. Because that would constitute trespassing. And you see, God has set boundaries for us. In his mercy and his grace, he's given us guidelines. Now, it's more than guidelines, isn't it? Commandments. This is how you're to live. This is what you are obligated to do. This is what you must not do. And if you do those things, you are trespassing against my law. And my law is what is best for you. And it's what keeps the relationship between you and me. And the fact is none of us have kept that law. We've all trespassed. We've all gone our own way. God sets the rules, but we have deviated from them. We've decided that we know best. We'll decide, thank you very much, what is right and what is wrong, what we think is okay. But God has never given us that choice. He determines what's right and what's wrong. And when we choose to live according to our own rules and choices, it causes a massive problem between the one who made us and those that he has made. God made you to live for him, not for yourself. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. Of our passage to Corinthians 5. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. And it's only those who God has rescued and reconciled to Himself that actually live for Him. And without reconciliation, We remain permanently separated from God. And death is the result. Not just physical death. There's a worse death than physical death. What? Yes. Spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. That's why it's so important that we were reminded earlier on that today is the day of salvation. We don't get that opportunity later on. Reconciliation between God and you is your greatest problem, it's your greatest need. And praise God, it's possible. So, how does reconciliation happen then? Number three. Well, one of the most important things to notice from this passage, and indeed elsewhere in the Bible, is something quite amazing, and it's this God is the reconciler, not man. The message of reconciliation is God's message. And he is the one who has done everything that is necessary to bring about reconciliation. It's so different from the kind of reconciliation that we're used to. What happens? Well, the two parties are brought together, and we hear one side and then the other side, and then we try and find a middle way that can keep both sides happy. It doesn't work like that with God. God is the one who made us. He sets the rules, and we have to keep them. We haven't kept them. And we can't negotiate with God. We can't say, well, I've tried my best. I've not I've never I'm not as bad as she is. That kind of negotiation is not possible with God because God is holy and his standards. Will always be holy. And he does not reduce his standards. God has done everything that is necessary to bring about reconciliation. Listen to those verses again that we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. All this is from God Who is the one that's been wronged in this relationship? It's God. And who is the one that does the reconciling? It's God. He's the offended party. He has done absolutely nothing to bring about a dispute. And his treatment of us has always been Reasonable, fair, full of love, and completely faultless. And yet, He's the one who takes the initiative to restore the relationship, to reconcile us to Him. The verse we read earlier on uh, from uh, Colossians 1 and verse 21. Reminds us of that. Colossians 1 verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So we're alienated from God. Why? Because of our evil deeds. And evil deeds includes evil thinking and attitudes and so on. And Paul tells us he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. You see, we have to be holy and blameless and above reproach in order to have a relationship with God. And God is doing that. He brings it about. God is the one who reconciles our attitude and thinking about and towards God naturally results in sinful behavior. Wicked works. Yet, we're told, he has reconciled. He is reconciling. How does this happen? How does he reconcile us? That's the fourth question. It's through Jesus Christ. We've seen that, haven't we? He's the one who comes to reconcile by his life and his death Paul explains that in that verse we read by not imputing their trespasses to them in other words he doesn't count our sins against us so Paul is proclaiming something that is unimaginable that God Instead of counting our sin against us. He imputes that sin. He gives it. He lays it on Christ himself. That's why the cross is so central. To the whole of the gospel message. Because Christ was taking the punishment. For our sin. On the cross. And that's what is spelt out for us. In verse 21 of our passage. For our sake. He, that is God, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only person of whom it can ever be said he knew no sin is Jesus, the perfect man. The only one who went through the whole of his life without ever committing a sin. And yet he took on himself our sin in order that we might be reconciled to him, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. God doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. He can't do that because he's holy. And a holy God cannot just wink at sin. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. No. Because if he's going to remain holy, he must deal with sin. He must punish sin. That's what it means for God to be a holy and a righteous God. And a a righteous judge has to punish sin. And if that's true on an earthly devil, that we expect the court to punish the guilty person... Otherwise, justice hasn't been done. It's even more true with God. Because he is perfectly holy. He never gets anything wrong. And so what we're told here in the Bible, this is the glory of the gospel. God transfers our sins to Jesus Christ. And instead of us being cursed, Jesus is. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that hymn that we sang earlier on expresses it really helpfully where we sang this. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. You see, Jesus has dealt fully with all of our sin on the cross when he suffered in our place. This needs to be repeated over and over again. Why? Because our tendency is to think that somehow we can do something ourselves to bring about reconciliation. Forget any thoughts of that. You can't. God, though, has done everything to bring about reconciliation. sadly there are people they will inflict some kind of punishment on themselves sometimes it's called penance by some people, they they do things which are painful and difficult because they think that somehow or other God will look at them and think oh they're making an effort that's good others will try and do some good work they'll be very generous giving to charity uh, generously or something like that it's almost as if they think well I'll, I'll do something good and God will say oh, okay, you're alright now no, he demands perfection because he is perfect he, dem- he demands complete righteousness and we can't offer that it feels and it is hopeless unless God himself Intervenes. And that's the message of the gospel, that God has decided to reconcile, to bring us back into that relationship, a relationship which we don't deserve, which we've done nothing to earn, but God in his amazing mercy and grace has done everything in order to justly deal with our sin But it's at Christ's expense and not ours. Because however much we do, it's never acceptable. Our sin is too great. Our so-called good deeds are always stained with sin. And only a sinless and perfect sacrifice can be a substitute in our place. As I say, that's why the heart of the gospel is at Calvary. Without Calvary, there is no hope. There is no other way. As another hymn says, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. No. God, in his amazing love, has provided the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So lastly, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you? The first thing I need to point out, though, is this. It's really important. Reconciliation is not granted to every individual in the world. Reconciliation is only achieved when those look, who recognize that they cannot bring about reconciliation themselves look to Christ and to Christ alone. And they're joined to Him when by faith, in obedience, they recognize their need, repent of their sin. And plead for mercy and forgiveness. Trusting in Christ and his finished work. That's why Paul says here in verse 20. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God's done it all. Why will you not receive him? Why will you not go to him? He's willing to forgive you. Have you ever prayed and said, I admit my need, I confess my sin, grant me forgiveness, receive me in Jesus' name because I'm placing all my hope in him. When you do that, God will hear you and will grant you forgiveness and will wash away your sin and make you clean. Why would you not receive such an amazing gift when God has done it all and it does the job? I've been speaking to you but let me address those of us who are Christians those of us who've already been reconciled to the Lord we need to see that this ministry of proclaiming reconciliation with God is our privilege and our responsibility not just the preachers if you understand what Paul is saying here you must proclaim it sadly There are lots of churches that are having services this morning that don't proclaim that message. They proclaim a message of self-help. Just be a good person. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you can never do enough to make yourself right with God. But God has done it all. Paul says in verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If God is willing to plead through us, we must be more urgent and earnest in calling those who we have dealings with to turn and to repent and trust in the one who has done it and is willing to be merciful and gracious to all who call out to him. Let me just read uh, again those verses which I'm sure will be, uh, or that verse which I'm sure will be familiar to you uh, in Romans 10. Again, which we see lays a great responsibility on us because there Paul says, to the people that he writes to in Rome. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You've heard of him because you've been sat here this morning. You know the answer is Jesus. Jesus. Have you believed? Have you put your trust in him? Have you heard someone preaching that? Yes, and if you come here regularly, you've heard it many times before. Why? Why have you not gone to Jesus? And let me say to those of us who are Christians... If you don't tell your non Christian relative, your non Christian friend, your non Christian colleague, your non Christian neighbor, who will tell them? What is the responsibility that God has given to you and to me? Well, I might get embarrassed. They might get embarrassed. Better that they're embarrassed and you're embarrassed and go to heaven then you remain unembarrassed and they go to hell.